This episode is hosted by Jordimon Companies. Check out the show notes to follow him on Twitter. Hello, Heather. Hello, Pablo. Hello, Scott. Welcome to Software Engineering Daily. Hello. Hello. Hey, hello. So I'll introduce each one of them in a minute, but let me actually dive into the, the topic that brings us together today at Software Engineering Daily. So the topic is actually design collaboration, some, somehow tangential to the core uh, topic of software engineering, but I think a, a, an interesting one nonetheless. So in my view, design collaboration, also known maybe as design management or design operations, is the act of collaborating collaboratively building software with design as a central element of it, along with source code and other assets. I first spotted this trend fairly late uh, while working at GitLab a few years back. Uh, we spotted the raise of the product manager, let's call this persona as a way of synthesizing uh, different, different roles. Um, and th this person was able to collaborate on code via pull requests, merge requests, uh, with code reviews, code approvals, and even merge conflicts, why not? But this same person was actually in charge of, you know, product-related product um, activities and workflows, right? That required versioning, updating, discussing, iterating upon other types of digital assets, right? Uh, like images or any kind of uh, data structure that is not text-based, like, like source code. So source code collaboration with version control systems and source code management systems like Git and the services built on top is mostly resolved. It's not an easy thing, but the workflows proposed by the main uh, Git providers are fairly standardized and, and, and have solved the problem at large. But it, the, the same cannot be said about um, uh, other digital assets that are not text-based. Again, images, uh, animations, uh, video, and so and so on. And this is only talking about design with a small d, but when you think about design with a capital D, the problem extends even further, right? Uh, design with a capital D includes research, making hypotheses, testing those, and, and even working with other types of tools and workflows, right? And uh, so wherever design management may be, the, the recent acquisition of Figma by Adobe for the price of $20,000 billion is, for me at least, uh, evidence that this space is not only economically very valuable and potentially profitable, but a space where open source software is expanding too. We'll explore the case of Pempot later, uh, uh, but the opportunity is, is, is just great. So with that excuse, with the acquisition of Figma to sort of like uh, pinpoint this 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 to this broader topic. I've brought with me uh, the three guests that are on the show on the Software Engineering Daily Show uh, podcast today. So with me are uh, Heather Mika, uh, open source licensing specialist and general partner of OSS Capital. OSS stands for Open Source Software. The fund's claim actually is, and I quote: uh, "Open source is eating software itself." much faster than software is eating the world. And we will, we will have time to discuss that, uh, even if it's tangential to, to the core of the topic today. Um, she's also the partner in crime, if I may say, of Joseph, Joseph, Joseph Jacks, uh, whom has been interviewed several times in this uh, very podcast, and uh, even a former colleague of, my, of, a, of a colleague of mine at GitLab, Scott Williamson, if I'm not wrong, a recent incorporation. 
Scott Jensen, uh, Jensen, apologies, is a veteran designer that has been involved in numerous uh, extremely popular products at relevant companies. Think of QuickTime and Apple Newton at Apple, to mention a few. Physical Web, Gmail Mobile at Google, Symbian, many others. Uh, and he was one of the thought leaders, if I might say, in this space that drew my attention, as I mentioned at the beginning, and also drove most of my thinking in, in this specific area. And finally, Pablo Ruiz Muzquiz, the CEO and founder of Kaleidos, the company which is, and I quote from their claim to, a great hybrid uh, between a technolog technological uh, partner for startups and an incubator for employees' idea. Examples of which are Taiga, a project management project, uh, you will have time to describe it uh, briefly too, Pablo, and Pempo, which is the, the, the project that is actually of, of most interest uh, today. Himself, by training, is a physics major, hopefully not a theoretical physicist. Uh, am, I, am I wrong? I, I, You're I'm right. joking, but, I, okay, I'm joking, by the way. I, I, I just bought a book about um, the, uh, Paul Dirac, who was a really popular uh, theoret theoretical physicist and uh, was not crazy like most of them. Uh, but he became a software engineer by trade and an entrepreneur and, uh, and, and many more things that we'll learn uh, uh, later, later when he uh, introduces himself. So I'll start with Scott, because uh, as I said, he, I think it's one of the most prominent evangelizers of design in general, but <laughs> the, the design collaboration conundrum that brings us all together here. And it hasn't been always easy. So uh, Scott, would you actually define uh, in, in better terms what design collaboration is, if, if you're comfortable with that term or any other that you might, might find more adequate? And your whole process, um, sort of like approaching it and uh, approaching even open source communities about it and so forth. Well, that could be a very, very large topic. So let me just try to keep it really short and we can ask follow-up questions but you know the design process has multiple levels to it right so at one level you're like oh these icons don't work right let's fix the graphics but the more deeper ones is how do we start the program what's the first thing we show the user what's the information architecture and so forth so it's a wide range of things so there's a reason why I'll, um, ux designers often significantly overlap with product managers because we're making product decisions so that's part of the collaboration process you touch all aspects of the product um, what's what i particularly started talking about recently and i've spoken at fossback and other conferences about this is the role of this design or you know, collaboration in open source. Because when you just talked about GitLab and how you know these people that are doing all this design work are also doing check-in code, uh, that's not a good thing, right? They do that because they have no choice. The only way for designers to work in open source is to become programmers, right? We shouldn't be programmers. I mean, we should be cognizant of it and obviously aware of it, but the only way, so for example, just recently, I suggested a change to Mastodon, the new hot open source thing to talk about these days. And I, and I, I did an icon change just as a test, right? I mean, just changing an icon is trivial. And the answer was very polite. It was like, oh, well, just go build it yourself <laughs> and then, then do a pull request. And I'm like, are you, are, are you kidding me? Like, that's what design collaboration is in many cases, is that you must be the programmer. And so it's a little bit of prisoner's dilemma, right? You have to become like your captors, right? Um, and so what I would argue is that as open source matures, because in for-profit software, 
which has lots of issues. I'm not trying to say designers don't do that, right? Design, designers are their own specialty and they work with people who actually coordinate. So my broad point, and I'll wrap up, is to say that design collaboration is best when the team understands it, has a centralized person that organizes it, and everybody does what they're best at. And because we're so source code focused and GitHub focused, or Git focused, uh, that's often a challenge. So that's my quick summary. And to add to that, would you say that consensus-driven organizations slash projects are also not the best suited for this? Because uh, you said centralized. Uh, the, the, the issue with open source is not that it's consensus. To me, the biggest constraint with open source is that the programmers are, t are so scarce. What it, what it means is that you're so desperate to not lose your programmers that you will do nothing to piss them off. And so there's this kind of, oh my God, what, if you want to work on it, great, but I don't want to offend you because you may go. And that creates a very weird dynamic where you can't upset the programmer. And I don't, I'm not suggesting you upset programmers. I'm just trying to say is there's hard decisions to be made at products. And because open source, everyone wants to, wants to scratch their own itch, you tend to get everybody piling everything into the product and you can't do that and have a good product. And that upsets a lot of people in open source and managing that decision process is very tricky. I, I think that that's what actually programmers usually call being opinionated, but I, I also agree with you that it, it, it tends to be a, a good thing in, in my view. I'm, I'm also a product-minded person uh, rather than an open source developer. Last question to you before I move on to Heather. Um, what does the acquisition of the... The actually the raise the, the popularity of Figma, one million active users last time I checked, and the acquisition of it, not necessarily in financial terms, but from a design perspective, mean because uh, I mean twenty billion dollars is obviously for any of us uh, a huge amount. But what what does it mean for someone that works in design collaboration, or at least partially, uh, that a product like Figma be has become so prominent and, and important? Well, I want to be really careful here. I really like Figma and I really like the team. I think they've done an excellent job. And I think a lot of people are not upset with Figma. They just have concerns about Adobe and what it might mean to the overall ecosystem. And these are all fears. They're not really obvious just yet. I mean, what we've seen recently with the Pantone color problem with Adobe is just kind of an indication of the kind of concerns that are showing up. So. What it highlights to me is the fact that people are saying, well, wait a second, we can go to an open source solution that just gets rid of all the drama, right? It just gets, it's just no longer an issue anymore. So to me, I, I'm trying not to say that the Figma acquisition is evil, but what I am saying is it's causing people to significantly look at alternatives like Penpot because they just de-risk a lot of these situations. So, so Heather, Figma is a portion of uh, the 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 pie and uh, and uh, and there was a, a post a recent post from your colleague at OSS Capital Joseph that I mentioned before that says that it's only a piece of of, of the broader avalanche that's that, that, those are my own words of open source products that are providing with tools to creative people designers uh, and so forth I'm thinking of uh, well Penpot in the case of Figma but or, or design collaboration but also stable diffusion in the case of, I'm not sure that how the category is called, uh, AI generative. Okay. 
um, Godot engine in the, in the case of um, uh, video game engines and so forth. So again, uh, large pieces of software creation tools that involve not only source code, but also uh, creative, uh, um, yeah, creative assets. So what, what's your view from, from the venture capitalist uh, and investment uh, point of view? Well, it was a very interesting transaction, of course, um, particularly because we're in, well, maybe I would say bad times, but at least I would say weird times uh, economically. Um, and there hasn't been nearly the uh, the pace of transactions that there was even a year ago. So the acquisition was remarkable you know, because it was a big acquisition. It was, I think, Adobe's largest acquisition ever, actually. And during a time where companies are not being acquired by uh, for huge multiples. Uh, and I, I think I read that the multiple was like a 50x multiple. So that was huge, right? So what's one thing that's interesting about that is that Okay, we have a, a, a somewhat dreary landscape in terms of uh, of deals, and all of a sudden this huge deal, you know, happens. So we need to pay attention to why it happened in this area, and um, I, you know, I think, uh, you know, as Scott was alluding to, um, the, the the visual aspect of products is one that. Um, well, in my personal view, it just needs improvement, right? Um, I'm, I'm, I'm very interested in user friendliness and user interface. And I think if you look at the products that have really good user interaction, those are often best of breed products and, and programmers. And look, I, I was a programmer too. So I, I get this, like they tend to be a little more focused on functionality than user interaction. So anything you can do to uh, improve the ability of developers to create like beautiful software as opposed to functional software is really, really interesting. And of course, that is, you know, Adobe has been a leader in that area for a long time. So um, it was interesting that it was focused um, on that area. And for every investor, you know, we need to be looking at what what the market is telling us is valuable. Um, so that that was uh, that was interesting from from the point of view of um, open source, being an open source investor or a commercial open source development investor. Um, what was really interesting to me about it is that is the aspect of collaboration. So you can build a tool that does something, but if you build a tool that allows people to collaborate on doing things, it adds tremendous value. And that syncs perfectly with our investment thesis. Uh, many of our portfolio companies are what are called open core meaning that there is a core of open source functionality and then the business is built around deploying that functionality in a way that allows people to collaborate within an enterprise. So um, that's, um, I think, consistent with the market signal here that the collaboration aspect is very important. It is one of the uh, more effective ways to build a business around open source software is to have basic functionality uh, that is open source and free, and then on a commercial level, provide the uh, 
the the infrastructure to allow people to collaborate. I I I completely agree with especially the I mean both points, but the first one too. And I would actually extend that to even when you to the design with a capital D that I was referring to at the beginning, because it, even with products that do not have an interface, and even for products that are aimed at developers, and I'm thinking of, for example, command lines, right? Like text-based text input uh, interfaces that do not provide with a lot of history unless you, well, request it through a command and so forth. They, they don't paint any interface. And so even those, the, uh, if they focus on developer experience, they require a lot of user research. In this case, developer experience, right? Because the user is a developer. So I would argue there's a lot of research behind them that make them elegant and beautiful, as you said. So... So there's, there's, there's not even a need for a UI. I mean, although, as you said, uh, those that are driven by UI and point-and-click interfaces and GUIs, those definitely require a, a, a you know, a, a, the, the design element to be embedded fully in it. Jordi, if so, I can just jump in. I, I, yeah, just had a, I just had a project where I did the UX of an API. And I worked with a team to have an API that was actually easy to use. So this goes all the way down the stack. Yeah, and you know, developers are are consumers and users too. In fact, um, the 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 ascendancy of software in our lives means that someday we're all going to be developers, right? <laughs> if we aren't already, so uh, so yeah, of course, um, it's important for developers developer tools as well because developers are are users just like any other users. So the case of Kaleidos is extremely relevant to today's conversation because it's the company behind Pempod and we will describe the product and again, the problem it tries to solve uh, from an open source perspective in a minute. But it's also a peculiar company in many ways. It, I'm not sure if a cooperative is actually the best way to describe it, but as, as I said before, employees are uh, uh, highly involved in the products that the company launches. and. It's highly involved with open source, and it's also highly involved in, shall we say, developer tools, project management tools. Because before we move on to Pempot, Kaleidos uh, uh, is actually the company that Pablo runs, um, uh, along with his colleagues, um, um, launched before uh, Pempot a, a project called uh, Tiger, which is, again, could you describe it, Pablo, as tries to solve for a, a, a sort of like a, a neighboring problem, right? Correct or not? Actually, I think it's the same problem. It's just a different angle. So yeah, so Kaleidos is an employee-owned company. Uh, it's not a cooperative, uh, but it actually behaves like one in many ways. Um, and um, we are not doing any, any consultancy projects anymore. Like two years ago, we, we stopped that. We went all in with our open source products, uh, Tiger being one of them, the first one. And then, of course, Pempot. Um, we we're, we were like we we saw this issue, big issue, um, with developers and designers working together. Like we saw that there was this trend and this ethos about being on the same page, really uh, working hard to, you know, sort out the same problems, onboard, etc. And actually, developers respecting designers, design respecting developers, and all that. We saw that because we were experiencing that uh, like eight years ago um, um, at home, right? Um, but there was an issue with the uh, the best practices in how we would develop software. And that was, you know, 
the Lean principles and the Agile manifesto and Scrum and Kanban and any you know all the methodologies around that. And since we have this obvious um, elephant in the room, which is that developers uh, overrule designers, like uh, developers have more power, as a quite uneven distribution of power in self-development, um, it happened that we we imposed Agile to design. We said, this is the way we're going to uh, make products. We're going to use Lean slash Agile, your favorite favor, we don't care. And to make it easier for you designers, like this was uh, all about being uh, sympathetic and all that. I mean, this was not like, it didn't feel like we were imposing this, which is what I'm trying to say. We created Taiga, which is an Agile project management platform. It's open source. But it's it's beautiful to use, easy to use for designers. So it was to onboard designers into Agile, to make them welcome, feel comfortable, and in charge to a certain extent, right? So it was Kalido's way or the or Kalido's developers' way to say you're welcome here to the Lean slash Agile process. And <clears throat> we were very successful at that. So we actually collaboratively um, conceived uh, Taiga. As such a tool and so immediately we were able to have one just one conversation about the project right uh, everyone was on board you know user stories were uh, codified uh, nobody had to like use this tool and then report elsewhere or stuff like that so everything was great for a time <laughs> you know, every, everyone was enjoying that like yeah we cracked that until um, we had this Design is not unable is not able to scale up issue. Like we were able to tackle bigger problems thanks to uh, onboarding design into Agile. You know, we were automating more stuff. You know, just uh, leaving the human factor where it belonged, where it made made a difference, and uh, we were actually making the ratio between designers and developers go up. So you know, in the past we would have one designer per 15 developers. But now it went to one to ten. You know, in the world, you can average that to one per eight. So one designer per eight developers. At Kaleidos, we are one per two. So it's one designer per two every two developers. So that's that's an anomaly. <laughs> we're they're very very proud of. Um, but it, but what that what does that means is that it's tough to keep that uneven distribution of power. You know. Um, thankfully, designers said, right, so in this company, we're only allowed because it's our choice to use open source tools. You know, we want to do that. But we are not able, we're not being able with the current status quo of open source design and prototyping tools to really shine, to really be productive and enjoy our work. You developers have the luxury of choosing, you know, choosing everything you want. It's going to be the leader or the challenger in that category, but we, we don't have that luxury. We're second-class citizens in open source. So we're going to ask for that exception to the rule and use Figma, right? And what we what we decided to do at that time is, okay, let's do that um, temporary exception to the rule, but then we have to create the Figma killer. The open source, not just any any um, other, you know, uh, proprietary uh, Figma clone, but actually an open source Figma uh, killer. And what we did was to complete that journey, to make developers onboard the design process. Okay, so we're that not was, just that was bold. May, may I say that that uh, 
Um, yeah. That vision is bold. It's bold and it's quite challenging uh, because as you know, Heather, Scott, you, you, you already know, creating a design and prototype tool is not just run of the mill uh, product. Like it's very, gets complicated, super, super fast. Like it's meta UI, like you have to let people be creative in, you know, and, and, and bring innovation, uh, you, you not prejudge what they're going to do with the tool, but also in terms of technology, it's quite challenging to have a performant uh, tool like that. So the specific angle that we have is not only it's open source, not only it goes with open standards, and with you, I will we'll talk about that in a minute because it, it is a text-based representation after all in the persistence layer, you know, um, with SVG, of course, but also it brings further collaboration, true collaboration between designers and developers. My hidden agenda, not so hidden, uh, these days, since we had this uh, breaking moment with the Figma acquisition, is that as a developer, I voluntarily give away power to the designer. So I want them to have uh, a bigger stance, more power, more uh, you know leverage. Uh, and at the same time, I hope that any best practices around source control versioning and stuff around self-development can be brought into the design process so it's a win-win right so it's sharing a vocabulary it's sharing some process it's basically the same way we had designers on board in taiga and saying oh actually this is an agile process i can enjoy we want developers to uh onboard design process and say uh same don't now that you mentioned version control, it's actually, and source code management is actually the core of my experience. I've worked in several companies, uh, for example, GitLab. But isn't, isn't that one of the ma main problems? Because uh, it works really well, again, for text-based, uh, well, I mean, it might work for actually uh, PenPod, but um, uh, Git doesn't work really well with uh, large files, right? Uh, it, it has this extension that I believe Microsoft uh, donated uh, that it's called LFS, uh, Git LFS, so large file system, if I'm not wrong. But the user experience, in general, the user experience of Git can, can get extremely complicated. If you add another module to it, another extension, it can, it, it's got a clunky user experience, to say, to say the least. Uh, and it's an extension, it's not native. Um, so, and there are alternatives. I think no open source uh, version control system manages well uh, large files and, 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 and yeah, um, but there, there are closed source alternatives like Plastic, uh, acquired by Unity and Plastic SCM and Perforce, for, to, to name a few. Uh, is that a problem but, or not? What are your opinions on that, uh, Scott? <laughs> Sorry, I have a strong opinion on that one. Um, I, I, <laughs> Because I think what happens is that we're saying is, oh, source code is done through files. So therefore we have a file-based controls, you know, uh, Git system. And therefore the design must fit in that process. And so it's like really putting a square peg into a round hole. The fact that design must be file-based. I'm not trying to say that we shouldn't have tools. I think the steps that PenPod has made is, are excellent. But like one of the first things that I'll do on a project is I'll put up a big whiteboard with sticky notes and stuff so that we can balance and see things. And now, again, we can have digital equivalents to that. But my point is they don't easily fit into a file-based model. So I'm just calling out that it's always going to be a little bit of a challenge. Pablo, you want to say add anything? To yeah, <clears throat> I think it's not a fundamental issue that design is cannot be always represented as a text file. I think what is what is an issue is that developers have to care 
about about design, right? The moment we have developers caring about design, and we are, you know, trying to do that. This 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 win-win scenario will only happen if the developers actually care about design because they 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 suddenly understand the the power of collaboration and design per se, like. Uh, then I don't think there's going to be an issue because all the innovation, all the creativity, you know, all the tech that we need, uh, we will have it, right? Now, having said that, having said that, Penpot does use a, a shortcut until that happens, which is very convenient, which is an open standard, not just can any you, you, industry. Standard. Yeah, elaborate on that, please. Uh, well, this is this is about uh, the you know the web slash internet. Um, standard or vectorial graphics with it which is uh, svg of course this is by the w3c and you can represent vectorial information it's math basically in a file right and uh, quite potent and so we are in this sweet spot where uh, we don't have to make any compromises <laughs> we can have both right now right um and there you know we know that we can do diff svg or we, we can do a lot of stuff but i think um so that is is a nice shortcut and of course that means that a designer could actually just commit push on a git repo um right away from penpot without using git i think it's a fallacy that uh git repo it's for the whole team um you know it's just a, a known failure but um let's not try to make git something that is not right let's make sure that we have the right integrations with the productivity tools that the rest of the stakeholders in a, in the team use and in that case that would be perhaps penpot why not um, allow a designer to actually start a continuous deployment process just uh, you know when i click on a button right um, and also it's this is a full duplex why not have back you know from the engineering perspective data from a server to a b testing uh, output flow backwards or flow back into the design itself and just generically, you know, generically, um, sorry, uh, programmatically uh, redefine the design itself. So it, I think it's, it's, uh, we are just in a, it's, this is very initial really. But uh, I go back to my, my point is that developers, de developers rule software development, software development too much. I mean, too much for my taste and for anyone's and open and developers also rule over open source. So we have those two problematic intersecting um, uh, things there. So developers are ruling software and are ruling open source. The way to escape this is somehow in some aspect, they need to stop ruling, you know, some, some of these uh, two camps. <laughs> Who wants um, to give away power? That, that would be my question. But Scott, you probably have something to add, and I'll move on to Heather after that. Well, yeah, uh, please, I definitely. I, I just want to strongly just support what Pablo just said, because that is the biggest issue, is that I think a lot of programmers, A, don't understand design, and somehow feel that collaborating with designers is about power, right? To me, power isn't something that each person has. It's what the group has, right? And if each buddy works as a team, we get more power you know, collectively. And so moving from an individual concept of power to a group concept of power is exactly the kinds of things you need to have high-performance teams. Um, I just find myself getting beaten over the head by the problems of file systems. But more to, to Pablo's, to, to Pablo's point, it's because the designers don't understand that it's a shared system. So 
we're talking at two different levels, but strongly agree with what you just said. Pablo, uh, uh, this is actually a, 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 a pretext to ask, ask something to Heather. I, I don't want to put you in an awkward spot, uh, but Pempod was already popular before, before the Figma acquisition. But after the Figma acquisition, as I think uh, Heather, me Heather mentioned at the beginning, the, there was a huge transfer, or if not a new, grown user base. Can you share a bit of the data of that monumental spike in... Uh, Pempot onboarding and, and uh, sign-ups? So maybe don't share yeah. anything that's confidential, but uh, can you give us an insight Nothing. into... Nothing is confidential, I think. <laughs> I mean, we <laughs> operate under open source ethos and transparency is a key value. So uh, I think it's the only issue here is how much, you know, what, what is the, the, uh, the amount of things you can actually uh, deliver, right? But it's not a matter of... Uh, so, no, I actually have a um, ton of data. But yeah, it was already, Pemper was already uh, successful and trendy, um, but we were having, uh, we, we were, I think this is, there's so many levels, the acquisition was a breaking moment. Um, we were being very careful not to be overruled by developers initially, right? Because if you have the first open source design and prototyping system that there is, not that there are no other open source tools that allow you to design or vectorial, of course, you know, and we will use that. But the first one that had these collaborative aspects, et cetera, et cetera, um, it, was, it was going to be easy, too easy perhaps, to have the developer audience on board. I'm a developer myself, my, a Python developer. So I know that it would be very easy for me to lobby hard for Penpot, right? So we wanted to make sure there was a designer's first experience. Like actually this was, uh, conceived and um, built by designers for designers first. Even if we have the collaboration between designers and developers, like a key ambition, right? So that we had a balanced community, like sort of 50-50, right? Remember that we have one per eight, uh, one designer per eight developers. That would be a toxic ratio to have initially for a designer's tool. I, I, hope, I hope you take my meaning. Like we wanted to make sure that we, we had a compensation early on. So we were uh, having that, but the, the acquisition made that actually go much better because guess who actually onboarded Pempot after that? It was not developers. They go they, their way, you know, slowly uh, onboarding Pempot. It was designers, right? Um, so we are now actually having many more designers than developers, uh, but it's not actually this 5.6K percentage uptick or, you know, like, I don't know, hundreds of new Pempot deployments uh, on-premise, uh, you know, any any incarnation of private cloud that you, you can imagine. But actually, the breaking moment is designers, real, you know, realization, this eye-opening uh, moment where they understand that they cannot just go like this forever. They cannot just put all their IP, their effort, their work on it tool that is proprietary, that's not open source, that doesn't use open standards. We didn't, we, we thought it will take us two years to make them realize that. We know developers have already said that, but you know, this was an acceler a massive acceleration of that mindset that we, what, that we needed. So we got 20 billion invested directly into making a lot of designers say, enough is enough, right? And now I can now see that this is a huge problem Developers would say, I told you so, but now 
designers would understand the subtleties of all this. So I'm not so excited about the massive uptick, and it actually is two orders of magnitude. So I, I formally speaking, yeah, I'm excited about the uptick, and it's not fa not fading away, by the way, you know. But actually, the breaking moment, not for us, but for the for the design community. Um, if we had been just another cool Figma clone, we would have some stuff that, you know, some success. But the fact that we were completely different, coming from a completely different approach, yeah. I think uh, served as well. So, so we already know your reasons, well, um, not Tiger, Kaleida's uh, reasons for, for, for being bullish on open source. It's part of your philosophy and your spirit. But I, I, I'd like to know actually Heather. So Heather's actually also putting her money and uh, other people's money as a, uh, uh, a general partner. Uh, into general open source. So, so although the conversation is about design collaboration in the problem space, I, I think I find it impossible, like Pablo just described, to separate it from from the fact that an open source is eating that pie again. So you've touched upon already on this, Heather, but what is your general impression of, yeah, maybe open source uh, uh, um, bringing in the design community, which was kind of... Uh, um, uh, how would I say this? Uh, deaf to the calls of, of this sirens uh, long ago. Uh, well, first I'd just like to underscore something that Pablo said, which is uh, he mentioned that um, that their um, you know platform is based on open standards, and that's at least as important as the open source in a way, because you know we've all seen the convolutions that. Um, that creative tools have gone through oh, when uh, when they were not based on open standards, and and also all the tools have been gravitating towards open standards because even the proprietary vendors realize they really can't sustain you know their own proprietary standards. Can, can you clarify why open standards and open source are different things, and 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 why are those two things relevant separately? Yeah, so o open source software is. Uh, basically software that's under licenses that allow completely unrestricted use of the software. I mean, that's a, a, a very simple way of putting it. But that's about freedom to use the, the, the actual software that you might use to create things. Um, there's a, a difference from an intellectual property point of view between the tool, the software, and what you create. So those two things are different works, we call them like works of authorship and copyright. So they could have entirely different like licensing paradigms. Um, so you can use, for instance, an open source tool to create something in a proprietary standard, or, or at least, you know, there, there are ways to do that and vice versa. You can use proprietary tools to create stuff that is in open standards. The open standards have to do with uh, like the format, the way that the that the actual resulting work is represented, and importantly, whether it's portable across different tools. And that portability is, you know, it's one of the things that's great about open source because it tends to produce um, output that is uh, portable and 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 adheres to open standards. Like, for instance, oh, it's like, like. You know, LibreOffice, if you use that, it's a pretty good product by now. Um, 
it produces an open document format as well as some of the more traditional proprietary-ish formats. Okay. I, I just want to underscore what Heather just said, uh, especially because there is a great amount of activity and interest in bringing machine learning to all of these UX problems. And there's really two very big categories to this. One is using machine learning uh, within the product itself, but another one is to bring it to the files. And so by having open standards, you basically liberate your data in a way that encourages a whole new category of machine learning, which is to run across your files and do interesting things to them. So I think there's going to be a tremendous amount of creativity applied to this and open standards for storage of your data is one key to unlocking that. Uh, but I'd, I'd like to go back to the original question. I got, I got a little sidetracked with the open standards because I like that idea so much. But, um, <laughs> but um, yeah, I mean, our thesis, what we believe in and what we've, you know, literally put our own money in and others' money into is that um, businesses that are built around open source software are the future of business. I mean, and that's a that's a pretty audacious statement to make, but we think that the software industry, you know, the the proprietary models are going to become more and more irrelevant because the expectations in the marketplace are to get access to source code and to have all the benefits of open source uh, based tools. And the, the models that the traditional models, you know, and I don't want to name names, but like Microsoft and Adobe and so forth. I mean, these are the companies that built huge and successful products based on the proprietary model. Um, they, they are, this is not the direction the software industry is going in. The, the direction it's going in is that an open core model is more interesting to users they, uh, you know, it's it's easier for them to justify using the tool because they can't get locked out of, of maintenance and support. Um, and uh, and also just, you know, the collaborative uh, nature of it makes for better products. And that's what we truly believe. But more importantly, we believe that that's the future of the technology industry at, at a minimum, right? Uh, if not everything else too, because these days in a way, every company is a software company. Everybody's developing software. It doesn't matter what sector you're from. And so, you know, we're looking at this as its own sector, which will eventually just eclipse the sector that exists now, which is essentially, you know, proprietary software and SaaS. I, I tend to share the same vision. Uh, also, I'm, I'm, I'm skewed, I'm biased, sorry, to think in the same way because I've worked mostly in open core companies, in open source companies, not all of my career. I'm not so bearish or so... so I, I don't have a big problem with closed source alternatives. Uh, I just think that the open source is better. But I, I don't think uh, closed source is going anywhere... But anyway, I, I don't have strong arguments. To be honest, I'm not I'm, I'm not the biggest expert in that in that sense. But Pablo, you might uh, want to add something to that. Yeah, I think um, I mean Heather's um, motto, uh, like open source is eating software faster than software is eating the world. 
I think it's uh, for me it would be easy to um, enrich that saying that design is eating software faster than software oh, is eating okay. the world. Elaborate. That's uh, really interesting. I think it's obvious uh, that design has become a key differentiator per se. That more and more technology needs good design. That um, more and more different audiences do require thoughtful, good design. And I think design is now, it, w it was always like that since the Xerox, uh, you know, innovation around design and interfaces, of course. But I think people realize that design is a key element in innovation, right? Any innovation, anything that technology will be able, will provide us with in the future, perhaps not flying cars anymore. We don't want that, but whatever, whatever other, other things, Design is going to be a key part. So I think, well, more than I think, I strongly believe that closed source design tools will not help that. You need accessible, universally accessible design tools for everyone or everyone on earth to access and be a powerful force on such innovation, whether it's innovation for a global audience or for their own communities. But you cannot just consider design as a, any you know any random category uh, in in technology, particularly design, cannot be treated as uh, you know like neutrally. So Penpot, if anything, yeah, it's about collaboration between designers and developers, and making sure that Scott doesn't uh, receive that you know response about yeah just do a pull request. I'll say okay. We There's are already. Scott won't, won't the, 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 I'm using Pampod, you know, like he will say, I'm using Pampod. I can actually integrate my design to your source code, uh, like fast forward five, five years from now, and that will not be an issue. But also, there are more people in the world will be designing, will be designers with the right tools. Yeah, absolutely. Um, one trend we're seeing in software is the uh, low-code, no-code uh, trend. Um, and that makes a lot of sense because, um, I mean, every, every, every software programmer knows that you don't, you don't want to do all the, like, <laughs> all of the uh, nuts and bolts. You want to actually probably do things at a higher level, usually. And this, the, the world is still lacking all the software engineers they need to, you know, create all the software that people want to create. So the more that we can push that up to higher levels and also make it work in tandem with design, the more, um, you know, productivity we're going to get out of the software industries. That That is also, you know, a, a really significant trend. You're seeing more and more pressure to allow people to, you know, use more powerful tools at a higher level and also to get people who are maybe not, you know, willing to sit around all night looking for a semicolon, um, you know, which is the quintessential index, programmer uh, experience. Yaml <laughs> syntax and all the, oh, yes. Yeah, I mean, to get to get uh, more people involved to make, make uh, programming more inclusive, um, it, it helps to, to have better tools. Scott? You were, you wanted to add something to that? Um, no, I think that was that was <laughs> okay. that was well said. I was just giving a strong thumbs up. Okay, okay, apologies. I, 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 I could I not would agree like more. To... Yeah, go ahead. Okay, now Heather just mentioned this uh, low code, no code. Um, I think it's a big trend. I tend to see that uh, more on the um, category of the 
the individual that needs extra powers, extra superpowers, and feel that they can be more you know, productive in areas where they don't have the expertise. So in a way, sometimes you, you can call that you would democratize design. Sometimes you can say you commoditize design. So uh, I, I think we have to be uh, not fearful, but rather like understanding that these tools are mostly meant for the, for the solo player, right? For the, for the lone wolf that needs to cope with more stuff when there, there's no other team. But there always be need for the high performing teams, I think Scott was mentioning them. Like you need collaboration, not only having extra superpowers yourself, but collaboration is the key to really scaling up and, and being able to sorting out the big challenges, like cross-functional teams, like big teams to be able to do that. And I think we are in the space, like Pempot and Tiger, in the space of the latter of the high performance teams that will only get bigger and in, in bigger numbers, despite the fact that you might have more people uh, joining the ranks of the low, low code, no code. And probably there will be some, some conversion from those um, um, you know, areas into the high performance. We are interested more into the uh, conversation between different stakeholders in a team rather than giving some individual like extra capabilities for a short period of time so that they can do more just by themselves. I'm not saying that is not important. I'm saying that it's, I, 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 I feel it's important to understand the difference uh, in, the, in the approach. And that is why we were discussing collaborative design or collaboration, design collaboration. What well, collaboration requires more than one person, right? So um, just, just to uh, underscore that. Yeah, I, I, I'd like to actually do a shout out to two people outside of this conversation that support the views expressed here in the last few minutes. One is Tyler Jewell, a analyst slash managing director of a fund that supports what Heather just said. Uh, the output, uh, I'm not sure if that's the correct word, of software engineers that universities and, and other trades uh, uh, are providing the world with is not enough for the demand of, so the supply is not enough for the demand. So therefore, uh, platforms, developer tools, no code, low code, whatever tools to create software need to be intelligent so that the 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 output of of, of those is bigger, right? Because the, the the demand is going to grow faster than than the supply of of software engineers or anyone producing uh, software, which not necessarily needs to be nowadays a software engineer. And I think Pablo mentioned about something that design is is just fundamental. I I come from. KubeCon, so, so that, that would be the first shout out. The second one is to actually Redmonk, the uh, industry analysts focused mostly on developers and in open source, which I think today is the 20th anniversary. So congratulations to Stephen O'Grady and uh, uh, James Governor and everyone, Rachel, all the, all the people involved in it because it's a fantastic uh, small firm. And they actually evangelize a lot about developer uh, experience. KubeCon uh, North America last year, uh, apologies, last week. KubeCon EU in Valencia, Spain, uh, May. All developer experiences, all the rage. So again, products that, are, uh, that have a lot of research, user research, in this case, developers uh, behind it. And then the output of which is uh, collaboratively um, Work through and uh, implemented in the product is, is actually the trend that is defining the, in this case, the developer tools industry, in my view, the cloud native industry. Uh, so I just wanted to highlight to, to, 
sort of like third party validation of, of points of view that have been expressed here. Um, and I think that we can, with that, we can maybe wrap up. I mean, I actually would like to throw out a question. Have we missed anything that the broad uh, space of design collaboration uh, uh, is? Have we missed anything fundamental, Scott, uh, Heather, Pablo? I, I just want to reiterate, which is new to me, which I learned in this conversation, is that I'm not thinking of design and software development both uh, along a continuum where we've got this kind of hypercard-like technologies at the bottom, where we're encouraging people to do no-code, low-code types of things, and then this high-performance type stuff that Pablo referred to. And they're both good. They're both good, but it's interesting to think of it as a continuum and what each level needs. And um, that has been very helpful for me to think of it as that continuum. Have any, any last thoughts or Pablo? Um, I would just... I would just say that, um, sorry, <laughs> I would just say that um, there are a lot of other issues in um, the uh, creative design space around licensing. It, it's kind of a quagmire, <laughs> kind of. It's it's really a quagmire. And that is one of my pet peeves, uh, obviously much broader than the topic we're talking about. But uh, Do you want to well, open that kind of worms at this yeah, point? Yeah, um, it's... <laughs> It, it, uh, but that's a problem that really needs to be solved and, and one that interests me a lot. Like, how do you clear rights to use materials and figure out whether you have the rights to use materials and stuff? It's actually, people waste quite a bit of effort on that. I'll reach out, I'll reach out to you uh, to see if we can have a further conversation in, in future episodes about that and with other... With other <laughs> if, if you want a very opinionated uh, discussion. Yes. Always, always welcome. Pablo, I've got a question for you. Everyone joining Petpot is Petpot. Apologies, Penpot. Oh my God, um, is forced to learn SVG, become a very, uh, very, uh, uh, what is it, a verbose, a very fluent person. No, 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 not at all. Well, first of all, let me say that I was hoping to um, uh, cover, like Heather would cover that issue she just mentioned, like. Asian is an understatement um, for many reasons, um, you know, 20 years also more than 20 years with uh, Creative Commons and still, you know, clearly we have there are some challenges. So looking forward to any other episode where Heather comes and explains, you know, her her views on on this space. Really, really important. Now, going going to the question No, absolutely. You design just knowing that design is already code, that the design, anything you are creating on Penpot is SVG uh, instantly. Like actually, if you inspect the code uh, on the browser, you will see that SVG is there. Like the we actually using browser technology, open standards. So no, what we, what we are doing is that, and this is very important, and the community has supported us on this very much, very strongly, is that designers are, uh, are borrowing vocabulary from developers so that we don't have this loss in translation between what you think and design and what actually gets into the code. That is one of our little nasty tricks, you know, uh, to make sure that developers onboard the design tool because they will find themselves using their own vocabulary, which is in the end what gets implemented into code, right? So we are sort of, this is a win-win, you know, not 50-50, it's not like that, but it's everyone 
uh, concedes a bit, like gives away a bit, like in the case of designers would say, okay, my own vocabulary is not that important, okay? If in the end we get rid of this loss in translation, I will use your W3C CSS, uh, you know, vocabulary and then developers will say okay then I'm, I'll be an active uh, part of, of that but what I the only thing we missed uh, in this in this I mean besides uh, Heather's view on <laughs> on content and design uh, licensing issues is that there's one key um, one thing that's missing to finally give design the power they deserve Right, and is the the not only that design is code, code is design, and so we have this merge in the in teams, but the next level is that scope is design and design is scope. How how much how much can we blur the lines between the agile process and the design process so that what a good user story looks like is not mandated by a 20 you know 2002 um, document by some developer right um, the you know when it's ready or the definition of done or what you really need to everyone understand okay this is what we're going to do how much design can uh, be there instead of just like what a developer would like to see just because they're used to again i'm saying just for the audience I'm a developer. I, I really like structured, long text walls uh, that leave no room for imagination, right? And it's super deterministic. But with the right tools, we could have an interactive prototype actually being the definition of a user story. Like that is the scope. And I think uh, for ourselves, that's a huge opportunity to merge Taiga and Pempo. Like those are the tools that could bridge the gap. Uh, more profound, more profoundly, right? So have scope, design, and code as a closed loop. That would be great for us. We didn't touch upon that, but yeah, if anything, so, that is like something I, I, yeah. I, I, I'm very much into it um, right now. Scott, as the only designer in this conversation, and literally as the final, as the as the closing point, are you as optimistic as Pablo is uh, with this trade-offs that uh, you are so willing to? Uh, uh, you know, give away and stuff like that. Oh, I'm absolutely optimistic. And I mean, Apple was spearheading design for decades and yet the PC mentality maintained itself for decades. So just because the world is going to be slow to follow doesn't mean we're there to lead, right? And and have these insights and it will win over time. So ultimately I'm I'm very enthusiastic, but you know, it is always going to be that case when like there's an agile user story, um, there's executing to that story and there's asking, why is that story even there? And, and, you know, leveling up those questions. And that's where Pablo's comment about scope I thought was so powerful. So I do believe that we're always going to be wanting to level up and asking these harder questions. Um, and that's, and the more companies like Kaleidos that is doing that, the more that we will, people will follow their example because it works for them. We just need to have more success stories. Well, we are at the top of the hour. Uh, it was splendid, actually in a very collaborative way in the spirit of this same conversation, I will let the software, defi uh, software uh, engineering daily uh, community decide uh, if they find the two open doors that we left open just a minute ago, if they find those interesting and they want to explore the licensing uh, conundrum that uh, Heather just touched upon briefly at the end, or and, and or 
the the future of design plus uh, code plus scope uh, and uh, the dark, the long shade of uh, scope creep and other problems. Uh, so I'll share it with the community and see if they want to explore that and then reach out to you. But other than that, I'm extremely thankful that you've joined and uh, spend an hour with all of us uh, talking about this uh, fascinating um, problem and solution. I'll, I'll add the links to all the relevant resources that we've mentioned uh, throughout, the, uh, throughout the, the conversation in the show notes. And uh, please, Heather, uh, Scott and Pablo, let us know where can anyone reach out to you if you've got social media and you're open to discuss any, any interesting ideas with anyone that listens to the episode. Can they reach, you, reach out to you, Heather, anywhere? Uh, do you have oh, a yes. handle, easy, a link? Easy to find me um, uh, at uh, heather at oss.capital. And I also have a blog at heathermeeker.com. And it's it's really it's really easy to find me. <laughs> yeah, find me just at jensen.org, J-E-N-S-O-N.org. You can find me on Twitter, Mastodon, and all social networks uh, with the handle of at diacritica. And also, if you are into archery, you can go to aljava.net and find wonderful resources on traditional archery. It's in Spanish, I'm afraid, most of the content. But Google Translate uh, does, a, does a decent job. Um, so, yeah, that's so, another thing. Funny, funny enough, my, my brother, hopefully, he won't listen to this. Uh, he probably maybe won't even listen to this ever. But, uh, uh, Nacho, so that you know... Uh, thanks to Pablo, your um, uh, Christmas gift is going to be related to archery. Uh, you'll, you, you'll, you, you'll know in a couple of months. Uh, so thanks, pa Pablo, for those resources. They're uh, fun, uh, fantastic. Take care all. Bye-bye. Thank you. Bye-bye. Thank you. Thank bye -bye. you. Bye -bye. Bye -bye.